This is Steamboat Chatter, a podcast about Steamboat Springs, Colorado, with your host, Duke Adams. Today, I'm talking with Andrew Petty. My wife and I just got our bodies where our hearts had been for a long time. And the reason that our hearts have been here for a long time is because my wife's family's been here since 99, 2000-ish. And when we started dating, she was living out here for a period of time. And so I'd come out and see her. And I just began to realize that when I came out and visited Steamboat, I was alive in ways that I wasn't at home. And then I would go home and I would be dark and brooding for, I mean, I'd take like two or three weeks to recover from yeah. being out here. Yeah. And that went on for um, all the period that we were dating and for the first nine years of our marriage um, when we were living back east. And I had dragged her back east to be with me where I was. And, you know, she, she soldiered through it and, you know, was willing to join me where I was. And I'm grateful for that. But it was hard for her and increasingly hard for me to stay in that context. And so eventually through a sort of the proverbial push from behind and pull from the front a set of circumstances in my life at work back East. And then the realization that we really love being here and by comparison really didn't enjoy being back there as much. We made the leap and came out here. And I bet a lot of people listening can relate to the idea of just finally making that leap because yeah. it can feel that way, especially because I think mountain towns bring this back to steamboat. You know, my armchair quarterback, sort of, if that's the right term, evaluation of Steamboat is it's the kind of place that people spring for. Like, I'm going to see if I can make it work in a place like that because the mountains call to you, because sometimes escape calls to you. Sometimes you don't know what's calling to you, but it's calling to you. And so you come out and there's this assertion of faith component. Like, I'm just going to go and see if I can figure it out. And that's one of the things I enjoy about Steamboat is that almost everyone you meet is working their butt off to figure out how to be here and, and stay, to stay here, here. Yeah. Uh, especially in the economy we've currently got and all the craziness happening. So it's a place that people really want to be and will work really hard to be. And that brings a special flavor to our community, I think, because it's like we who live here, we're all in this little club of people who are still figuring it out and would do anything to be here. And that gives you a special sense of camaraderie. And so that was 2000 spring, or June, June of 2014 we came out here. Um, so we've been here, what's that, eight years-ish, eight years plus. Um, and I haven't looked back for one nanosecond. And that's, that's relevant in that I didn't think I would be able to say that because there was a moment, and I talk about it in my podcast, one of the early episodes, about where I was just gripped with paralyzing fear that if we made this change, I would blow up my family somehow and lead us down the garden path. And I would just lay on the floor paralyzed with fear, knowing I needed to make a decision, knowing that I wanted to come here but was just scared to do it. Ultimately, remembered something that we tell our boys, which is if you're scared it's a good chance to practice being brave and i was like oh dude so in that moment i realized i'd take some of my own medicine and summon the courage to let my wife know that i was on board to come out here she had already made that step herself and we came out here had some severance had like some runway but i was really reinventing myself professionally i didn't know what i was going to do next my wife had some next steps but you know it was a, it was really opening an entirely new chapter in our lives and i was 40 she was 35 or 6 at that point and so it was a little bit it felt a little bit late in life to be engaged in that kind of wholesale reinvention man i am familiar with that yeah <laughs> but we slowly found our way i mean not for one nenos i mean it's been harder in most ways in the past eight and a half years than the prior nine of our marriage were just in terms of sheer effort and energy expended and sense of risk and all of that that's come along with it. But it's been far preferable to the difficulties we had prior to that because there were difficulties we were encountering along the way of forging a path that we really cared about. And so obstacles became opportunities. Now in the moment, sometimes it just feels like an obstacle, but ultimately you see you know, this is an opportunity and occasion to rise to. Our boys are thriving here. It's a great community. We've got my wife's whole family. So 
That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> well, it's a it's a good nutshell. That was a big nutshell. Yeah, it was it was a big <laughs> nutshell. But hey, listeners, thanks for tuning in. It's Duke here sitting with Andrew Petty. We're talking about Steamboat. I, so, something that you talked about is like the people that choose. Like you have to make a choice to live here. In the last episode that we aired, it was with Kate Bambenick from Ohana. She's the retail manager at Ohana. We talked about how it's there's a passion that you have to have. Like passionate people live here because you have to be passionate to live in such an extreme place. And it really does create a cool sense of community. Speaking of community, Andrew Petty, I know that you do like life coach, career coach type stuff. You have a podcast called Andrew Petty is Dying. Tell people where they can find you and why they should find you. I know that people in Steamboat love to support other Steambotians. That's I've decided we're called Steambotians. Steambotians? Steambotians? That's like not bad. Like Lilliputians? Yeah. So, so how can the, the Steambotians find you and why should they? Yeah, on socials, which I am admittedly a, a sporadic user of, it's at, at Andrew Petty Coach and andrewpettycoach.com. The podcast website is andrewpettyisdying.com. And I am, I guess, broadly speaking, a life coach. I still am not totally comfortable with that term because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But ultimately, what I'm about as a person and what, how I do that professionally is I seek understanding about how to optimize our conduct in the world in such a way that it produces the best results in our lives. Um, what does it mean to live well? and to have lived well. And so I'm working that out for myself and attempting to help others work that out for themselves. And then I do that in the work environment through one-on-one coaching, through masterminds called the Graveyard Group, which is currently, I'm super excited. I onboarded one, one new non-Andrew facilitator on the women's side in January, and now I'm onboarding three more to join the team. So we'll have a, a team of five facilitators who are helping to expand this movement around the Graveyard Group and embracing the mortality mindset. And the mortality mindset is essentially voluntarily embracing and confronting the reality of your mortality so that you can be motivated to live as well as you possibly can now. Hmm. Um, I'm and, very familiar uh, with that concept as well. Uh, when I got a, a diabetes diagnosis in 2019, I, I went in because I couldn't feel my feet already. I, you know, I have pretty bad neuropathy and I'm a musician. So to me, it was as good as you're dying, which it, it is. I mean, if you, have, <laughs> I had an A1C of 13.5. So like I was dying and, uh, 13.5. Yeah, wow. and I uh, I started a I you I came up with a mantra of try harder do more and it really it was just choose life I mean that's all those two mantras were just choose life and a lot of big changes uh, and people are like how'd you make all those hard decisions and it's it's not hard and there's not a lot of them it's just there's one choice life or death if you choose life things naturally <laughs> go that way right part of the way to actually choose life is actually confronting your mortality. So yeah, I've loved listening to the few episodes. I loved listening to um, the end of death conversation you had. That was really fascinating. I have an aunt who works in hospice and has for many years. So it's is just, that with Nicole McDonald? No, it was a relatively recent one. And it just, it, it was just very interesting. It was the, it was the guest whose parents both died in a car accident. Oh yeah. Michelle Matai. Yeah. 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 So that was very, very interesting to me. But so tell me, how did you come to the, you know, the, this mortality mindset kind of thing? What brought you there? I didn't just suddenly go, oh, I have to confront my mortality. Diabetes happened, you know? So I'm wondering what, what was your catalyst? Yeah, and the coach in me wants to go down the rabbit hole with you of like, how we, come? We can if, connect later. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you realize diabetes helped you realize you wanted to choose life, what was keeping you from choosing life before? Because I think that's relevant to all of us. I mean, what are the reasons that we fail to choose life more fully until such a time as the options are clear, either you do X or Y will happen. Hmm. And then somehow our focus and our clarity come and the resolve and the will come alongside it. 
so that that was true of me. I had two defining moments or seasons in life. One was the onset of acute, really debilitating anxiety in my early 20s that in hindsight I realized was probably the moment when just simply the psychological load of years of sort of undercover anxiety had accumulated to the point that my psyche couldn't handle any longer. And <laughs> well, we can talk more about that. Bingo. <laughs> uh, two crazy people talking about the crazy stuff. And my my flavor, the flavor of anxiety that I happened to experience the most was around catastrophic life events and health events. And I climbed Kilimanjaro during that period. And I was afraid all the way up and all the way down that my heart was going to explode. But, you know, I was a, a high-level collegiate athlete um, in NCAA Division One soccer. There was no no medical justification for any of it. So I began to encounter mortality in a neurotic and mentally health, mentally unhealthy way at that time. Fast forward, you know, 12 or so years, slowly found a way to kind of still carve out the eke out an existence. And for those of you who have experienced anxiety, you know that when there's a lot of anxiety, you're two people. There's the, there's the person who's managing the internal world that feels like chaos. And there's the rest of you who you're trying to present to the world to just conduct normal life. And, and it's exhausting. Completely exhausting. And and then do that for 30 years. <laughs> for 30 years. And, and people don't, they can't see what's happening, so they can't appreciate the diminished version of you, but you know it's a diminished version of you. Did you, when people back then, when they would ask you how you were, was it often, I'm tired? My, my answer before I understood what my anxiety was, it was just always, oh, I'm, I'm exhausted. And I, did, I just, they would be like, what do you, you're not, you don't run. Like, what I are think you doing? for me, my answer to that question, it felt like it would be, have been so impossible for them to manage that it probably would have been like, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. There were a few people for whom I would say I'm, I'm mortified, you know, but so then I figured out a way to keep living, managed to pull together a family, my wife, my two boys, and then my, my sister's husband gets a cancer diagnosis. And I had ballooned from my fighting weight of 180, 185 as a collegiate athlete to about 250 at that point. Through. We are going to connect on so much. Go yeah, ahead. I know. I looked down at my gut sort of literally and metaphorically as he was dying and I went, well, dude you're not doing yourself any favors. If you want to stick around and be with your family, you've got to change some things. And within nine months, I was down to 180, 185 again. I was rehabbing my, uh, a lot of my bad habits I picked up, drinking heavily, smoking, doing all kinds of things, just in an attempt to take the edge off of the, ang the anxious part of me. And that's not an excuse. And that's just the reality of my experience. And I made all those choices. And many of those choices I wish I hadn't made, but they're all now part of my story. And They've helped me learn many of the things that I've learned. So mortality kicked my butt back into shape. I didn't acknowledge it as such at that time. I didn't go, oh, look at that, mortality, I'm in better shape. Oh, neat. Until I got out here and was beginning to figure out a new professional chapter, I'd begun to do some coaching work. And I had also at that time found a new way forward with my relationship with the anxiety because it hadn't gone away despite my best efforts. I'd learned to live with it better and it was more manageable and fewer people felt its impact on a daily basis, especially my family but it was still there. Mm. Um, and it's a silent suffering and it, and it, it led me to feel emasculated. It led me to feel less than it led me to feel apologetic about myself as if there was some way in which I was deficient that I wasn't competent to overcome. And I just turned to the anxiety and I went, you're not going away. So what are you here for? I didn't get a response from the anxiety, but something flipped in that moment and it suddenly became useful to me and began to feed me ideas. And I was walking downtown, I think near Backdoor Burger at one point, thinking about this mortality thing and what is its value? I mean, maybe because that was the preoccupation of my specific flavor of anxiety. And the phrase, the graveyard group just welled up from out of nowhere. And hmm. I was like, whoa, I don't know what that is, but I like that. That has legs. 
fast forward another couple of years and a buddy of mine, good buddy of mine that many of you guys will know, Chad James, who um, is a coach from this area. He's currently on the road with his wife, Sabrina. He's great at getting people to just take action. And he said, okay, Petty, you've been talking about this. Could you just get some people together? And I was like, well, no, because I got to get it all figured out and have the whole thing in my mind. He said, you no, want just- to have like a, I just, on a different show that I do, I talked with a guy who does autism content and we, we talked about how we both, we don't want to do the thing until we can do the do thing. The thing yeah. yeah, I got and you. Of course, the, the catch-22 there is that until you start doing the thing, the thing can't be done. So. Oh, what a great <laughs> phrase. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So he kind of dragged me kicking and screaming over the starting line. I got some guys together who began doing this thing. And you know what, what it has become is a weekly opportunity to sit down with your confidential board of advisors in a gender-specific environment. And I have it's gender-specific for reasons that are important to me and I think important to the work. But and voluntarily confront your mortality and make space for what emerges as a result in terms of what becomes clear to you is more important than other things and to, to evaluate whether or not you're giving that, that thing the attention it deserves now. Yeah. You know, the alternative is to wait until a crisis hits. You've had crises in your life recently that provoked, you know, prompted major changes, and that's one way to go about it. But often then, too much water under the bridge too little time, too late, and we really can't make the changes that we'd like, and we end up with regrets that are painful. And so minimally, we're trying to reduce the number, if not altogether eliminate, the number of regrets we take to the deathbed, acknowledging that we could die today, we could die at 85, we don't know when we're going to die, but all we've got is today. But optimally, we're trying to bring out the best in each human that we can interact with, because change yourself, change your world, change the world. Is that significant? And so what we're doing in these groups is nothing short of, of world changing man by man, woman by woman. You know, pain is a great motivator. You had the pain around your diabetes diagnosis. I mean, that kicked your butt into gear and it, it whole, sure did. completely renovated your life. I mean, yeah. You're sitting here in steamboat in part because of. Oh, I tell people all the time that diabetes was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. And I would say that I am sitting here in steamboat almost in whole because of what happened after that diagnosis. Right. Because of the changes that. That happened. I, I would never have taken a risk to move to Steamboat Springs, Colorado, before I figured out that I could lose 100 pounds in six months. If, like, before I six figured months. out, right, before I figured out that <laughs> you can't just be a victim to life, <laughs> that you have to be an active participant and set goals and then go out to work to accomplish them. I know that sounds so stupid that it took it me till I was 32 to figure that out, but it really did. And once, it, once I did figure it out, it, it took over every aspect of my life. Try harder, do more isn't just about my physical health anymore. It's like every time I sit down on the couch after editing an episode because I feel good about accomplishing something, in my head I go, you got to try harder, do more. Don't sit down. You got to start working on the next one. So yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you acknowledging that coming to see your own victimhood sounds silly on some level, I think it really isn't. I mean, I think most of humanity operates in some level of that mentality. And that's what mortality is so useful. It's the ultimate status quo buster. So a lot of people come into the graveyard group with presenting pain points or presenting symptoms. My marriage is this or my work is this. In pretty short order, they work through some of those significant issues because they've got pain driving them forward. I want this to feel better. Right. I want this to be better. And they come to this point, like clear air, where they go, oh, things feel pretty good. And that's where we bring mortality to bear. And we go, hey, man. Okay, great. You're going to die. Well, well, now you're at the point where you get to be a proactive agent of creation in your life, not merely a responder or a reactor to the pains that you've sometimes been complicit in creating in your life. 
Hey, pardon the interruption. Hope you're enjoying the conversation between Andrew Petty and I. Wanted to take some time to tell you about Mortarbox Media. Through Mortarbox Media, I help people create and develop podcasts that they've been dreaming of reaching their audience with. And for businesses, I help create engaging content that will convert listeners into customers. So whether you're just looking for someone to hit record, or you need a showrunner, or anything in between, Mortarbox Media can help take you from having an inkling of an interest in podcasting to an engaging professional podcast in no time at all. If you're interested in seeing what a podcast might do for you to help you achieve your goals, reach out to the email listed down below in the show notes. It's steamboatchatter at gmail.com. Or if you'd just like to support what we're doing at Steamboat Chatter, you can visit the Patreon linked in the show notes below. And without further ado, back to the show. That's how mortality became so important to me. Um, and I still re relate to it fairly neurotically because the anxiety is still there. But I'll tell you, it's been exposure therapy for me because over the past three and a half years that I've done this work intentionally, it's been healing me of my anxiety. As I incrementally, as I pull it closer and closer and closer and see just how much transformation it can create in my own life. Yeah. Um, I'm a different dude because of it. And what a cool place to to do that in. Like you're sitting here talking about keeping in mind your mortality and having a mortality uh, mindset every day. And you can't really live in a place like Steamboat, like Route County, and not be reminded of your mortality. Yeah. When you look out your front window and you see a bull moose or a bear or the fact that you could tumble down the mountain or when you're riding your bike or on a, anything, everything about Steamboat really is a reminder of your mortality. I'm curious, how do you choose to interact with your environment around here in Steamboat? Do you choose to do a little more extreme things than, than you would back in the... Like, because you talked about you had a lot of neurosis around, you know, the what if and I got hurt and medical stuff. Have you moved past that? Like, what's that experience funny, like my, now? Well, it's funny because I, uh, my wife marvels at this because there's ways in which I can, the anxiety can be pretty preoccupying and it can limit me if I let it. But in the physical realm, it doesn't tend to do that. Yeah. I tend to be pretty comfortable in extreme environments and seek them out. I'm not, I mean, I'm not Alex Honnold by any imaginable stretch i mean not even close to that level of extreme but steamboat extreme where you know <laughs> we're doing on a regular basis things that most people don't consider doing i enjoy that yeah um, sadly i don't do it as much as i'd like to do and, and frankly in my life right now i'm trying to figure out you know as i've continued to understand the kind of human i am and by virtue of that the kind of life that i was especially designed to live you know learning's a big deal to me reflective time's a big deal to me writing's a big deal to me you know intentional engagement with my family is a big deal to me and I think that's one of the great tensions in life is how do you proactively cultivate an environment in your life that plays to your strengths and, you know, also allows you to respond to just the obligations and responsibilities that are outside of you. So I would like a lot more reflective time, a lot more writing time, a lot more time in nature. Solitude is a big deal to me. I've discovered the power of solitude in the past couple of years. So I am an introvert and I I'm happy here in my office all day long by myself, thinking my own thoughts. I feel and doing that so hard. Um, <laughs> and then I would say my engagement with the community is a lot of it is through my coaching work because I find by the time I've I've done my coaching work, um, by the time I've given to my family what I want to give to my family, and to a few close family members and friends, I'm kind of tapped out in terms of energy available. But I've, it's become clear to me that I want to be more engaged in our community in other ways. I don't know specifically what those are. It's, yeah. it's an easy place to, to get closed off. Not, not that I'm saying that's what you're doing, 
But it's an easy, maybe that's the wrong word even. It's an easy place to just be into what you're into. And if you're somebody who doesn't mind the solidarity of a place like this and you don't need to seek out a group, you can kind of get lost in like, hey, I'm going to do my thing. <laughs> and then before you know it, you're like, oh, I, I don't know anybody here. Well, that's one of the paradoxes, I think, of a community like this. Is it's a place where you can choose to get connected or a way you can choose to get lost in a negative sense. And you were mentioning how more you know, reminders of our mortality are all around us in a beautiful place like this. I also see quickly the flip side of that, how, I mean, we have too many people dying here um, at their own hand yeah. and people suffering from mental health challenges that are not being resolved. And mountain towns seem, I'm not a statistician or ethnographer or sociologist, but mountain towns seem to have an unfair share of that. And, you know, armchair sociology professor here, I think some of that is because we like to believe that when we change our external environment, it changes everything. Huh. And sadly, I think when we have that belief and we come to a, a place that is externally more beautiful and dramatic and find that we're the same, it deepens people's despondency. That hurt, yeah. And they feel like, well, if that's not going to work, then what will work? Well, especially moving to it, like we said, you know, you got to be a certain type of person to move here and make it. And so if, if you're moving here out of despondency, you're probably not going to make it. Um, so if that's you, listener, I would probably call somebody for some support. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, you're totally right. I haven't looked too much into mental health services here, but I, I would imagine that, you know, in a mountain town, like you said, it's, I mean, everything, there's, everything's limited. I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to really, really need those services. And you're right. What a, what a confrontation of mortality just right here in our community. So I, I think there's a lot of pain and suffering. I think that's, that's, you know, it's, it's maybe the new pandemic is just the, the mental anguish that so many people are going through these days. And one of the episodes on the podcast I called the global fish pond crisis, which I realize, you know, not many people are listening to because it doesn't make much sense at face value. But it was an opportunity for me to spell out something that I've been thinking about, which is, you know, in the 1960s, 70s, 80s even, you know, if you're born in Kenosha, Wisconsin, is that in Wisconsin? Yeah, Kenosha. Yeah. You know, a, a medium-sized community, um, and to a family who'd been there for a long time, you had a well-defined pond to swim in, and you could decide what kind of fish you wanted to be in that pond and what part of the pond you wanted to swim in. Right. But you could borrow that identity for a lifetime if you wanted, and suffer no diminishment. I mean, it'd be just fine. That's not an option for people, largely speaking, these days. As soon as you hit the planet, you're part of a global fish pond with no defined borders. Beyond those that are becoming somewhat blurred between nations and cultures and ethnicities and things like that. And so I think the undiagnosed psychological strain upon the new generations is, who am I? Yeah. And how do I figure that out? Hmm. And in a, global, in a globalized world, that's a very good question. Uh, it's always a good question, but it's perhaps a more difficult question than it's ever been before. Because, and through the virtues of, and the downsides of social media and the internet, you've got the world to compare yourself to. Hmm. And in the absence of strong home environments and cultural identities to help you discover who you are, like through rites of passage and, and various things that help you figure out what you're made of, it's completely disorientating. And so there's a lot, of, a lot of pain, I think, around that. And so I think the challenge is, you know, how does Duke, how does Andrew summon personal sovereignty and responsibility and will encourage to determine who we are and define the borders of our fish pond and what kind of fish we want to be in that fish pond. And that's unbelievably difficult work. If you've not been well-equipped for it, 
And you can only do that work if you're aware that it needs to be done. And so I think a lot of people are walking around, stumbling around in great pain, much of which isn't their doing. It's a function of their environment and the age they were born in, and they don't know how to fix it. So they just conclude that something's wrong with them. Something is wrong with all of us. I mean, all of us have things that are wrong with us. I think there are some things we can do to help people. That's what I'm trying to do in the world. That's what we're trying to do in the work that I do is help people discover who they were made to be. Yeah. And what they were made to do in the world and begin to go do that thing. As you're talking about this, I'm thinking about you as a father. Uh, I know that you're a dad just from talking with you and then listening to the show. I loved the, the, the rites of passage episode with your son where he came on and talked about his experience. But I'm, I'm curious too, you're talking about being born as like a global citizen now, right? And, and this global identity. What's that like? Cause your kids weren't born in steamboat, right? No. So What's your perception of what it's like to be a kid who has a global identity from the moment they're born, but to be in a small, tiny community like Steamboat, what's that dichotomy like for the kids in this area, do you think? Well, I think the classic thing you hear from parents of teenagers is that um, teenagers say, there's nothing to do, I'm super bored, and so they end up getting into all kinds of mischief. And um, that's why well, I can't imagine what steamboat mischief is because <laughs> yeah, well. reading the police blotter for adults, it doesn't seem like there's much to get into. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's typically of the substance based variety and all that kind of thing. Mm. I think it's incumbent upon um, our generation, broadly speaking, the, the parent generation, those who are bringing the next generation into existence to number one for ourselves, localize rather than globalize. And what does that mean? That means it's not that I'm, I'm not, giving time and attention to the global situation and being involved in improving that to the degree that I can. But it means that my primary focus is on taking full responsibility for myself first. And that's the project of a lifetime. And as I do that to try and make myself the best person I can be, by definition, my partner, my kids are impacted positively. It's not that I set about to change my wife and my kids. I set about to make myself the best that I could be. Then they have an opportunity to interact with someone who's improving, which by definition means that they have an opportunity to improve themselves. They're getting better, better raw fuel. And if I can, in the midst of a global age, if I can hyper-localize, then I help myself stay focused on the areas that I can change. I help my kids acknowledge their responsibility for themselves and become productive members of society. And they pass that forward, and eventually we're having a global impact. I really believe that get your house in order first before you begin trying to change the world. And that's part of the psychological disorientation we have is that I think we often short-circuit that process. We see all of the issues in the world, many of which are very real and need attention. And we try to jump out and begin fixing those things before we've gotten ourselves sort of sorted out. And then we become ineffective on both fronts. I don't know if I'm answering you. I'm just... I'm just responding in the way there's, that you know there's no answer. This this show is just conversation between t- two steamboats. I'm just That's giving you what comes point. up when you ask that question. Yeah, yeah, and for it's sure. Those kinds of things. I really believe in the importance and the personal obligation to point the finger at myself only, first and only. Yeah. And then see how much change I can create there. And then if I've done everything I can, then I can begin to broaden my scope of influence over time. And I think if each of us was a little local representation of that effort then, you know, that work, those circles, those ripple effects begin to overlap across the planet and, and the planet is changing substantially. So I've really loved this conversation. And this has been a pleasure and I'm glad you're here. I think you bring a lot of cool new energy to the Valley and you're creating cool conversations and introducing Steamboat to some of its own who maybe they, they know of the places they, they do business and things like that, but they don't know the person behind all that, the wizard behind the curtain, so to speak. So I think that's a great, a great undertaking of yours. And I hope it serves to connect our community even more tightly 
especially in a day and age where we, we can be so easily divided along party lines and things like that. Let's, right. Let's try and not do that. And let's that's the and, whole point is like, just we're all the same. Like we're just, we're, we're all steam motions, right? You know? So before we actually do go, 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 go though, I like to ask people about ex- an experience they've had here in Steamboat or just a memory, something, something that you, when you're away from Steamboat that you think, oh man, I wish I was in Steamboat for this thing. What's the memory? What's the experience? This won't quite fit your question, but I'll tell you three years into living here, um, I came back from a work trip. And I was driving down Rabbit Ears, and I turned the corner where you can see Catamount, and then you can begin to see the valley. And I think it was at night, so the, the lights of the community were glistening. And as I rounded the corner and saw all of that, I just went, I'm home. And it was the first time I had pulled into the valley and felt like I was home. That's just a big, uh, that's a, an important memory for me because I realized I, I live here now. It's not just that I live here, but I really feel like this is home, and it was a special moment for me. So, Is it a belonging too? Like if, so, if something's home, I'm wondering if that means I belong here. I think belonging has a lot to do with it. I'm not sure precisely why that moment for me, it was the case. I think we had been through enough of our initial learning curves and, and professional challenges and just kind of getting situated that I was able and willing to say, this is where I am. This is where I belong. But that was memorable. And I think also, uh, you know, a fire pit under the stars in our driveway with my boys, um, a really fun day skiing with the family. Um, where everybody's having fun, everybody's skiing well. It's a beautiful day. Um, those were all memorable moments for me too. Time with the family. Yeah, you seem like a good family guy, dad. Like you just, you just seem like, yeah, I'm, I like my family, and that's where I want to be. It's true. Yeah, I do want to be with my. Family. I love it. Well, Andrew, uh, plug your your website and your socials again so that people can. So find at you. Andrew Petty Coach, my website is andrewpettycoach.com. The, the podcast website is andrewpettyisdying.com. I'm really excited that the Graveyard Group is expanding. There will be virtual and in-person groups available. So look out for that if you're interested. I realize it may be like a tall order to convince yourself to get involved in something like the Graveyard Group because you're, you're essentially leveling up in some ways that it's easy not to. But if any of this conversation is kind of piqued your interest, I would encourage you to give me a buzz and let's talk about it and see if Graveyard Group is a fit for you because we believe there's a movement afoot here of people who are waking up to the reality of their mortality and waking up to the power of their one and only life and doing something about it. Absolutely. Well, Steam Bosions, I love that we've, we've decided. <laughs> Steam Bosions, you should definitely go check out uh, everything that Andrew's do, doing. He's going to email me links to everything. So if you go to the show notes right now, you'll be able to click those links and find out more information about how you can get involved in what Andrew's doing and how you can start confronting your mortality so that you can finally live. Andrew, again, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Steamboat Chatter is a production of Mortarbox Media. It's produced, engineered, and edited by Adam Rosted. To learn how we can help you start your own podcast, reach out to us on our Instagram. The link's in the show notes here. 